you are Locked On Dodgers, your daily Los Angeles Dodgers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So I say D, I say D-O, D-O-D, D-O-D-G, D-O-D-G-E-R-S, team, 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 Hello, Dodger fans. Welcome to Locked On Dodgers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one local sports daily podcast network. Locked On, your team every day. This is the daily podcast covering the Los Angeles Dodgers, bringing you the smart fans' perspective on our boys in blue. I am Jeff Snyder of Baseball Central, along with Vince Semperio of Chavez Ravine Fiends. Vince, we had an off day today, Thursday. You and I both spent some of that off day on an airplane traveling home from Texas. Uh, but uh, kind of nice to have a break in the middle of a series for the first time in a while. Yeah, I greatly appreciated this break. And I'm not in a, ba- a dark bathroom, and there's not hints of snoring in the background today. So a little bit back to normal, which is also a good thing for our listeners. Yeah, those of you listening, uh, you you probably heard remnants of snoring last night on, on yesterday's episode. And just be assured that... Uh, what you heard was not nearly as annoying as what we recorded because uh, oh, what was there probably 20 times Vince that you restarted a sentence because there was a snore right in the middle of it, including one sentence. I think it took you four tries to get one particular sentence out. Yeah, there was one with four tries. Yeah. So that was fun. Uh, but yeah, we're back uh, in our own homes now, uh, at least for the time being and recording in the relative comfort of home. So Today we have a mailbag episode because of the off day. We didn't have a game to talk about, so we have a lot of good questions from you listeners, so we're going to get into that. But first, we want to remind you, please subscribe to Locked On Dodgers wherever you get your podcasts. And when you get in your car or sit on your couch, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Dodgers. All right, Vince, really quick, before we jump into the mailbag, uh, I have uh, two things. One, we have a, a email that's a follow-up on a previous uh Another email follow-up about Tom Needenfewer, who was my obscure former Dodger last week sometime. And this one is from Fred Provoncha uh, from Stansbury Park, Utah. Huh, that's where my brother-in-law and sister-in-law live. Interesting. Uh, Anyway, uh, Fred says, hi guys, I love your podcast, listen to it every day. I've been a Dodger fan since 1977 when I was about six years old and they played the Yankees in the World Series. My father has been a Dodger fan his whole life ever since the Brooklyn days. I must be one of those rare Dodger fans that actually has a fond memory of Tom Nadenfuer. There was a game that he pitched back in 1986 when he was brought in for relief against the New York Mets, May 27, 1986. Nadenfuer threw a pitch that happened to strike Mets batter Ray Knight. Knight didn't take very kindly to being hit and stormed the mound. Nadenfuer was ready for him. He employed a classic wrestling move, a double leg takedown, and knocked Knight down to the ground on his back, and the two of them went at it. Both benches cleared, and a big brawl ensued. At that time, when I was a kid, I was on the wrestling team, and I really appreciated his use of a classic wrestling move. Uh, here's a link to the YouTube video. He sent it. He said, it's pretty entertaining. So for me, my most vivid memory of Tom Fewer is the positive one. And uh, I did watch the video. It is a fun video. Uh, I'll try to remember to send you the link, Vince, so you can put it in the show notes when you post the show. Um, it, it's interesting to me that this is a positive memory of Tom Fewer since uh, the hit by pitch came immediately after Needenfewer gave up a grand slam. And so it was kind of Needenfewer's bad pitching that led to this moment, but it was a cool move and, uh, and it was funny. But my favorite part of the video, underrated favorite part, 
is uh, Naden Fewer hit Ray Knight after a grand, sl- a grand Slam. Ray Knight charged the mound. They brawled, and then they both stayed in the game. Ray Knight went to first base. Naden Fewer stayed on the mound. Tommy Lasorda came out very angry that Knight hadn't been ejected, got in two different umpires' faces, cursing them out, spitting, yelling, screaming, and he didn't get ejected either. Just no ejections in the whole game, even though there was a bench-clearing brawl and a manager cussing out two umpires. So uh, times were different back then, I guess. Yeah, definitely can say that. Yep. Uh, The other thing I want to bring up, this one I I thought about sending in under a pseudonym a mailbag question because it was just a thought I had today, and I just wanted to talk about it for a minute. Uh, So maybe we'll do this, and then we'll read an ad, and then we'll get into the listener questions. But, uh, you know, I, I was listening to a different baseball podcast today, and they were talking about how sad it is for, for uh, Red Sox fans specifically this time uh, that their team ownership couldn't figure out a way to keep Mickey, Mookie Betts and basically how unfair it is to the fans that ownership couldn't find a way to keep him. And I was thinking in the specific case of Mookie Betts, it seemed like Mookie didn't want to stay there. And so don't you think, Vince, that a case could be made that it's not fair to the Red Sox ownership that the Red Sox fans weren't good enough fans to make Mookie want to stay there? It's a very valid point. Uh, you know, obviously, Mookie has said a lot of things since he's come to Los Angeles that he didn't say when he was in Boston, and the commitment, along with the money, also helped. And the Red Sox had made him a deal, uh, I believe, above $300 million, but, you know, for, for obvious reasons, he didn't take it, and uh, more obvious reasons that he didn't quite love it in Boston as maybe some fans thought. So, yeah, I think, it. you know, obviously at the end of the day, ownership's going to get the big blame of it, and that's fine. Uh, even their social media tried to poke fun at it about the resetting the luxury tax, and that didn't go over well. So, you know, from that perspective, it's still on them. But it's clear that Mookie didn't love Boston as he appears to love Los Angeles, and he has even, hasn't even played in front of 50,000 fans yet. He's played in front of us, though true and that's all that matters yeah i just think you know boston has a reputation as not necessarily being the kindest town to black players uh the media in boston is not necessarily the most player friendly so uh yeah i I think there's a lot of blame to go around in that situation and the the good news is it all works out for us as dodger fans yeah I, i have no complaints about it yep all right, we got time to do at least one question before we take a quick break. So let's jump right into the mailbag. Like I said, we got a lot of good questions from you guys. So let's, uh, I'm just going to try to go in order. Um, let's do this one from Tommy Swings at Tommy Swings. And he says, if it gets to a game six, who is starting that game? We also have a similar question via text from Greg from Bartlett, Illinois, who uh was also the one who sent that question last week that didn't have a name on it, by the way. And I didn't find that out until after we were done recording, but that was also Greg from Bartlett, Illinois. But he says, hey, guys, it seemed to me that the primary goal for game two was to try to steal a win while saving the prime pitching for games three three through seven. But I think I saw a secondary purpose unfold, a bit of a pitching tryout for who Roberts can trust. Alex Wood looked great. Did he pass May and Gonsolin for game six? What do you think? Yeah, if it gets to a game six... I don't know. I, I have no idea what the plan is. I guess it also depends on if they need any of those three guys the next three games. You know, if they need to pitch May or Gonsolin or Wood the next three games, and that kind of switches out. I think 
Obviously, it's going to depend where the series is at. If the Dodgers are up, Dodgers are down, how it goes. But I think it they may try a more traditional bullpen game with a dominant reliever as the opener and then try to get some bulk from either May, Wood, or Gonsolin. I, I still would think Gonsolin's the guy. He didn't pitch terribly uh, the other day, but like I said, he, he didn't pitch enough to warrant him being in there any longer than he was uh, based on the fact that he had just thrown two days before. So I still think Gonsolin's number one in the pecking order for a bulk guy, but I think if he gets to a game six, it'll be like Gratterall or someone or, or you know somebody better, uh, a, a top reliever, maybe even Dylan Floro, to start game six, get the first three or four guys out, however long it takes, and then get into a bulk guy. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I wouldn't be surprised if they just decide on a starter and go into it hoping Wood or Gonsolin can give them five innings uh, and and try to do more of a traditional starter game. But like you said, I could also see them taking that other approach of of going with a traditional opener game with your or a full full on bullpen game. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. But Alex Wood definitely looked good, and uh, I I don't know how much of a conclusion we can draw from one game though. Yeah, I mean, he's thrown enough to he's thrown well enough to make me not completely dislike him pitching, but you know, that could turn very quickly. I'll, uh we'll talk take some more questions in a minute. Alex Wood may not be the best pitcher ever, but Be- Built Bar is the best protein bar ever. That's called a segue, my friends. Uh, Built Bar tastes delicious, tastes like a candy bar. You eat it and you can't not you cannot believe that it's healthy. It's like if you sat down and had a bowl of ice cream and then somebody said, by the way, that's a salad. Uh, that That's like eating a Built Bar. They've got 18 different flavors. All of them have chocolate. They're like good, good flavors. Caramel brownie, salted caramel, double chocolate, toffee almond. So many good things. Some have nuts, some, have, some don't. Uh, but no matter what your nutrition goals are, uh, Built Bar is perfect for them. They will help you lose weight if that's your goal. They'll help you build muscle if that's your goal. If you're doing keto, great. They're great for that because they're very low carb, very low sugar, very high protein. Uh, so many good, good things going on in Built Bar. And the best thing is because you listen to Locked On Dodgers, you can go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code Locked On for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. And keep it locked on Dodgers. All right, Vince, let's do our obscure former Dodger really quick. I was thinking about the Dodgers' first World Series championship and some guys who played uh, either minor or forgotten roles on that on that team. And uh, I came across, the, from the 1955 Dodgers, a pitcher by the name of Don Besant. Don Besant, uh, he pitched in the 55 World Series three and a third shutout innings. Uh, and then in the 56 World Series, he actually pitched two innings, only allowed two runs, actually won game two, I think, of that series. Uh, it was a slugfest. Both starters got knocked out of the game in the second inning, and Besant cleaned up, pitched, I think, the rest of the game, the last seven or eight innings of that game to get the win. Uh, the Dodgers won the series in 1955, lost in 1956. Uh, but I was reading a little bit about Don Besant in preparation for this, and it was really interesting. His nickname, according to Baseball Reference, was The Weasel. And so I started looking to try to figure out why he was called The Weasel, and uh, and I found it. It was, I found an article from August 31st, 1956, in the Hinton Daily News in Hinton, West Virginia. Um, 
although this might have been a syndicated article. Anyway, uh, it's about Don Besant and his role on the Dodgers. And it says, Besant is called the weasel by his teammates because of a thin, sharp face. The right-hander from Jacksonville, Florida is also called Mr. Peepers because of the mild manner in which he peers through his glasses. Manager Walter Alston calls him when there's trouble. One thing seems certain, even in the even to the pressurized old pros on the club, that this is that Besant won't fold up when the going gets rough. This 25-year-old six six-footer has seen too many tough times already to quail in adversity. Man, writers back then used so many different words. Uh, but it, that article goes on to explain that after he was signed by the Yankees in the early 50s out of high school, uh, he actually was paralyzed from the waist down. Uh, he said misfortune struck him in 1952 or late 51. He, uh, he said, I was pitching and I felt a sharp pain. I had torn two vertebrae apart and pinched a nerve. It says Besson was paralyzed from the waist down and after an operation spent a year in a cast and a brace. He missed all of 1952 because of that bone grafting operation and the Dodgers drafted him from the Binghamton roster. Uh, so the Dodgers took him while he was paralyzed uh, before he ever made the big leagues. He eventually made the big leagues and actually pitched pretty well for a couple years for the Dodgers. And then sadly in 1990, he died in a Wendy's parking lot in his hometown in Florida. Uh, he died of alcohol poisoning, um, uh, uh, complicated by cirrhosis of the liver at age 59. Um, but then I also, on the in the same article, that are uh, the same newspaper that talks about Don Besant dying. There's also an article with the headline Dodgers Gibson shows selfishness. And the whole article is about Kirk Gibson being a selfish jerk and demanding a trade from the Dodgers. Uh, and uh, I looked and he did not get traded by the Dodgers. He finished out the season, but apparently uh, Dodger writers had turned on Kirk Gibson by 1990, July 11th. Uh, anyway, so all of that is to say that Don Besant is our obscure former Dodger today. You have any thoughts? We need, may need to change this segment to just history lesson with Mr. Jeff Snyder. <laughs> yeah, you know they're fun. It's fun to dig through the newspaper archives when you just to try to figure out why was Don Besant called the Weasel. So you know, I found it. It wasn't on his Wikipedia page, but maybe I'll add it. I can do that. Wikipedia is public, right? Yeah. So yeah, maybe I will add it. And uh, all right, let's do some questions from our readers. Why don't you read one, Vince? Our listeners, not our readers. All right, let's uh, let's get into this one from uh, Toby G zero two two zero. He says, "Let's say the Dodgers get out to a huge lead early in Game Three, like they did in the NLCS. Can you see them going Bueller for three to four innings, then Julio three to four innings, so they'd both be ready for Game Six and Seven if needed? It would mean both teams go bullpen game in Game Four. Uh, I really can't see that because uh, I-, I could see them." Uh, pulling Bueller earlier than they might if they have a big lead, you know, if they've decided that Alex Wood isn't the starter or whatever and want to throw him for a couple innings, or if they, you know, if they have a pitcher who they think can finish it out uh, without compromising the bullpen. But the fact is uh, a big lead, maybe its biggest benefit would be allowing Bueller to give more length without the stress um, because Bueller will be on full rest for game seven anyway, if there is a game seven. And so uh, I, I think they'll go into it wanting to get 90 to 100 pitches from Walker Bueller, regardless of the score. Uh, rather, I, I don't think they would pull him 
early with thoughts of bumping up his next start or trying to get more out of him in the series. I think they're planning on two starts from Bueller, probably. Yeah, that's what I think. If it's he's gonna guaranteed to start twice in the series, then it doesn't really matter what two games necessarily. All right, next one from Anthony Davis. Probably not the Anthony Davis, uh, but this one's at Anthony Davis Inc. on Twitter. He said, Is, am, I, am I wrong for being overly annoyed and a tad bit concerned at the Game 2 loss? Not that they lost, more of how they lost. I'm hoping for some optimism. Well, you're not wrong to be annoyed. It was annoying the fact of the matter that Keegan Hernandez, one of their best defenders, made a, a mistake on a double play ball that would have prevented at least two runs from happening and kind of switches up everything else because, you know, the certain guys wouldn't bat in certain innings against certain pitchers, blah, blah, you know, butterfly effect type of thing. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's safe to be annoyed. They had a few chances to, to tie the game or, or even go up ahead, and it just didn't quite work out. But like we said in the last episode, the reason for optimism is the fact that they have Walker Buehler and Julio and Kershaw going the next three, and then Walker Buehler again in a potential Game 7, along with the offense has already seen some of their arms and actually scored against some of their top arms, and the fact that it's tied 1-1 after two, and the Dodgers only threw one starter, and the Rays threw two top-tier starters. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think I said I don't think I said this on our show. I think I said it on a radio show I was on. But if you had a crystal ball and could see the future and see that the Dodgers win this series four games to one, and uh, and somebody asked which game do you think they lost, you'd say, yeah, probably the bullpen game. You know that that was we kind of made that a similar point on yesterday's episode. But you know, it's not like they went into the game expecting to lose, but if it's not a sweep, so they did lose at least one game, the bullpen game is the one you would expect it to be. All right, next question from our pal SoCal underscore librarian. She says there's three homers total for LA and San Diego and three NLDS games. By the third NLCS game, 14 home runs were hit. Do you think they changed the baseball knowing how hard it is to get a home run in Globe Life Field with a gif of... Uh, always sunny in Philadelphia of a conspiracy theory type uh, gif. Well, uh, first of all, hi Yoli. Thanks for listening. Uh, she is one of our favorites. Um, you know, I wouldn't put it past Major League Baseball to have changed the ball. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Uh, there were also a lot of balls flying in the other series at that time that the Dodgers and Padres weren't hitting many, and so it might have just been that the Dodgers and Padres didn't hit many of that series. Uh, it's a, Three games is a really small sample, and so it doesn't seem likely that they would have been using specifically different balls for the Dodgers-Padres series than they were for, say, the series going on in Dodger Stadium at that point in time. Uh, and so, you know, while I, I do like me a good conspiracy theory, especially if it involves uh, Rob Manfred being bad at his job and increases the chances of hashtag Jeff for commissioner, uh, I don't, I'm not inclined to think that's what happened in this case, but like I said, it wouldn't shock me. Yeah, it could go either way. I'm not, I don't have a, a strong opinion toward it, but yeah, I mean, home runs are more fun. For sure. Uh, all right, let's do this one that we got in DMs from at Pat Sweet Pat. He says, why pitch Kershaw in game five with four days rest? Wouldn't it be better to let him pitch game six with full rest plus an extra day because 
if you have a guy that can go on normal rest, you, you let him pitch, especially a guy like Kershaw, who has been used to going on normal rest basically his whole career up until maybe the last couple of years when, they, when they've been a little bit more cautious. And just kind of how we said with Bueller, I think it's a little different. The fact that if, if Walker Bueller is going to pitch two of your seven games, it doesn't really matter which two because he's going to give you a chance to win in either one. Whereas with Kershaw and a game five, you know, compared to a game six, you lose game five, you're down three, two. Uh, it goes back to kind of the last series where your margin for error lowers. You know, Kershaw, who has had previous starts in the postseason that weren't the best and who has had issues with relievers maybe coming in and giving up the runs that he leaves on the board, the offense not scoring. There's just a lot of different things where if you can get a guy on, on full rest, normal rest, uh, earlier in the series and you go ahead and do it. And also the fact if he pitches game five and they do happen to need him in game seven in a relief appearance, then he has that extra day to do that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that last point might be the biggest one that uh, because – you know, after game five, hold on, I have to sneeze. Okay. Because game five will be Kershaw's last start of the year. Um, and so, but you'd have two days between game five and game seven uh, with the day off and then game six. And so it would kind of be Kershaw's normal throw day anyway. And so it would make sense if you do have an all hands on deck situation in game seven, uh, Kershaw would be in the best position there. I wonder if this question is just, it's kind of a common misunderstanding. Uh, I think there are some people who think it's five days between starts when actually it's a five man rotation and you start on the fifth day. And so I think this question asker may not totally may be confused about what full, constitutes full rest. Four days is full rest. So Kershaw will be on full rest for game five. Uh, and and I think that makes sense. And then the other point is by setting him in game five, that gives hopefully one or two of the three-headed starter reliever monster of May, Gonsolin, and Wood gives one or two of them five full days of rest before game six so that if they do decide to go with a kind of a piggyback start instead of a, a bullpen game and want to get three or four innings each from two of those guys, that's their best chance to do that too. All right, let's see what else we got and the questions. All right, one from Vic the Ripper with three R's at the end. Are the Dodgers using the bullpen in the most efficient way, especially in game two? Probably not in the most efficient way, uh, but I don't think it's been bad. I think, you know, I, I do think some people were rightfully annoyed at the number of mid-inning pitching changes, uh, both by Dave Roberts and Kevin Cash. Uh, and... And it's easy to think Victor Gonzalez could have finished that inning. Dylan Flora could have finished that inning, you know, and, and I get that. Uh, but but beyond those mid-inning pitching changes, the actual usage of the guys uh, wasn't bad. You know, they uh, one nice thing is that I think Roberts did well in game two was he managed the game, kept the score close while not having to use his top guys. Like you said earlier, the Rays had used their top guys, even in a game that they never trailed. Uh, the Dodgers didn't have to use their top guys, and so they now have fully rested. You know, Blake Trinan probably really needed that break, you know? So Blake Trinan is now fully rested for that. He could go all three games, three, four, and five, if necessary, uh, and then get another break after game five. Uh, 
Uh, Kenley Jansen is rested, which is good. Uh, Bruce Argraterol is rested. A lot of these guys who they're they're counting on are are coming in rested. And so uh, when you're looking at the fact that they did a bullpen game, I'm actually pretty impressed with with how Roberts managed game two. Yeah, and that's the other part of it is that you know that. I saw an article, I think, on the Ringer, basically how if the the series kept going this way, uh, the way the bullpens at the Rays might have an advantage, which I took a little bit, uh, you know, didn't agree with it per se because of how the reasoning was. And it basically said the Dodgers were able to stay in game two without having to use their top relievers, which I thought was a benefit, but apparently it wasn't because it's not always, Alex Wood's not always going to get you two innings of relief or whatever it was. But uh, the other part of it is that, it wasn't the most efficient, but it wasn't really the, you know, Dave Roberts' fault. Tony Gonsolin and Dustin May definitely went less than they probably were expected to go, which means everyone else had, you know, they kind of had to piece it together. And like I said, I think they did a good job of piecing it together. The offense got the game close enough to where the Rays had to use their guys. Uh, and, you know, Dave Roberts kind of had, I'm assuming he had short leashes for some of these other guys like Alex Wood and the lower tier guys who, who maybe wouldn't have thrown if they were up five to three. Absolutely. Uh, next one. Uh, here's a, a quick short one from Carlos DeCastro at Carlos A. DeCastro. What happened to Dustin May? I'm not quite sure. Uh, unfortunately, I think what I said early on in the year and which may kind of kept uh, pushing away the whole season and maybe now it's starting to come to fruition is that he doesn't have a strikeout pitch necessarily. He doesn't have that off-speed pitch that can differentiate from his two-seamer or, you know, he, he, he can use his two-seamer as a strikeout pitch because of how fast it is and the nasty movement. But if a guy's keen in on that, he doesn't have the off-speed stuff to kind of go away from it. And it kind of benefited him in Game 7 because, you know, right off the bat, eight straight balls and then a single, Dodgers are down 1-0, and the, the Braves are right in striking position. And he was forced to go to that off-speed stuff, and I don't think the Braves were expecting that, and I think that's why he got out of the inning. So it ended up benefiting him that time. But the rest of the way, it's not really benefiting him because if, if guys are keen on things or are laying off that the, the two-seamer with the run, then he doesn't have enough of his secondary pitches to kind of pitch out of it. And a little bit of bad luck, and and also just you know the, the, that's just the way baseball goes sometimes. But I still think he's going to be a key contributor in this series. I do too. Uh, I think a lot of it comes down to just command. I don't necessarily think he needs that off-speed pitch as much as he needs to command the two-seamer. Because I, I think what we saw in Game Seven when he walked the first two batters on eight pitches was just he didn't really know where the pitch was going. Like being able to key in on okay, how much is this pitch going to move? Because, you know, it looked like he was trying to make it, you know, hit the inside corner and then it was hitting four inches inside. And so then he would adjust and then it would end up over the plate and it, and then he gives up contact. And it reminds me, I, I've probably made this comparison before on this show, and I'm not intending to say that he's going to turn into Clayton Kershaw. But a lot of us remember the big knock on Kershaw when he was young was that he couldn't put put guys away and he was getting into high pitch counts because he didn't have that strikeout pitch and and it wasn't until two things happened he got a little bit better command and as you know he famously developed the best slider in baseball and and so but I think just the command uh, because he didn't 
developed a slider until uh, a little bit later. So in 2008, he had 8.4 strikeouts per nine innings. In 2009, he was up to 9.7, and that was before the slider. I think that was mostly just the the command coming in, and that was when he was able to, you know, he, he had 30 starts and pitched 171 innings, so he was up to almost six innings per start just from improving his command. And so I think that's going to come with time for Dustin May. He's going to get better command of that two-seamer, and at that point, I think the strikeouts will start to go up a little bit, the pitch counts will go down a little bit, and he'll be a little bit more reliable. Uh, as for this series, I do think he's going to pitch some important innings, but it might need to be in a slightly tweaked role uh, where where he's only expected to go one inning and can just kind of come out and, and let it eat. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that as well. All right, Jeff, this question seems more up your alley uh, from at Dodger Wave. He says, random baseball question, but why is the dirt in front of the batter's box always kept wet, but not the base paths? Uh, I think it mostly boils down to, uh, you know, it's up to the home team to to decide how much they water everything, which has always been kind of weird to me that, that teams can just decide that. They decide how short to cut the grass and how much to water it and everything. And uh, the, this always reminds me of the Cardinals of the 1980s, who famously would water down that that spot in front of home plate and their hitters would just you know hit the ball down into the dirt and then run because they had so much speed and so pitchers generally want that spot in front of the plate uh pretty wet because that slows the ball down a little bit and so ground balls are more likely to turn into outs and and so i think that's the main reason and then the base paths you don't want them too wet because guys are running and definitely don't want them slipping you don't even want them you know, picking up mud in their shoes. So you want the base paths to be pretty dry. And so it, it, watering the infield is always kind of a delicate balancing act of keeping the dust down while not playing on a muddy field. And I'm always really, really impressed when I watch major league ground crews come out and, you know, they'll a couple times during the game, they'll rake the infield and water it a little bit. And, and it's always impressive to me wow, they keep this like perfectly balanced. And so uh, I think that's the main reason that, that they water it down in the front is just to, because that's how the pitchers want it. Yeah, true. All right, uh, next one from Ash at Ashtag Gaming. Why don't major sports media outlets call out bad umpires or referees, especially when one has a negative impact on a playoff game? And this is obviously a reference to the home plate umpiring game two, who the report came out and he was pretty bad. He, I think his final number was like 89%, which sounds like a B plus if you're thinking about school. But if you're thinking about uh, an umpire doing his one and only job of saying whether a pitch was a strike, uh, he was pretty darn bad. I think it said the average is 94% and he was 89%. And almost all of his misses were pitches low in the strike zone that were called balls. And that's what we saw with the G-Man Choi thing that directly cost the Dodgers a run. Overall, it was balanced. Uh, he was equally bad against both teams. Uh, but for me, that's a pretty lousy defense. So what do you think, Vince? Why don't Why don't people call him out more? I guess it depends on what you mean by major sports media and what you mean by calling out. The broadcast usually doesn't call it out, which I would imagine they're trying to promote the game of baseball, which they don't always seem to do. So it's a little bit of a hypocritical, I guess. But, you know, they're, they're not going to say, oh, the umpire messed up the call or blah, 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 all this other stuff. They're, they're just not going to say it. But if you are on Twitter 
anytime there's there's bad calls, you know, for the most part, either local beat writers or even more of the national guys, if it's very egregious, they'll tweet about it. And that might not be the type of, you know, call out you you may be asking for, but they, they do bring it up. Um, I don't think it's gone much deeper than that. We have there is a lot of umpire analytics now. You can kind of tell and check on things, and yeah, I I don't know if there ever be a push towards that. It's it's just a kind of one of those things that that you know whether you agree with it or not is I don't the MLB is not going to want you bashing umpires because they're a product of the game. And, and the game is a product to the fans. So, you know, if you bash it and call them out for it, then it's going to seem less credible. Yeah, and I think it's even more, like I think about when Manny, Manny, no, yeah, Manny Machado, I almost forgot his name, the obscure former Dodger Manny Machado, when he was on the Dodgers and, you know, he had several notable incidents of not hustling and there was a lot of people getting mad at the double standard. I think that was the same season that Cody Bellinger was benched earlier in the year for for not running out what should have been a triple uh, and so people calling out the double standard and the point I made then was, at that point in time, Manny was a rental who the Dodgers might have been interested in bringing back. And so it wouldn't have made sense for Dave Roberts to publicly call him out. Uh, I'm sure that Chase Utley had a conversation or two with Manny Machado about those things. Uh, I think that was Chase Utley's role. But it wouldn't have made sense for Dave Roberts to call him out because they were also trying to kind of trying to recruit him for future seasons. And I think it's the same thing here because basically every major media outlet either has a relationship with MLB or wants a relationship with MLB. And so I don't think it's so much wanting to pr- promote the game as just wanting to protect that relationship. You know, if you badmouth MLB, you are less likely to get the next contract uh, you know, or whatever it is. And so when, you've always got that conflict of interest here when anytime you have a relationship with the league you cover. And I don't know that it's a bad con- conflict of interest. It's not like we need major media outlets to call out the umpires. We can all see what's happening. There's enough, you know, minor or fringe or whatever you want to call it, media outlets calling these guys out. And so it doesn't matter to me too much if the major media outlets do, but I think it makes sense that they don't because they have that conflict of interest. All right. Uh, we got three more. Let's, I'll give you two quick hitters. Uh, one from Andrew at 1978 Sav asking about why they didn't pinch run for JT in the eighth. I, I was a little surprised they didn't. Um, I think if he had represented the tying run, they would have. Uh, but he wasn't the tying run. And I also think if he had gotten to third with less than two outs, they might have run for him. Which he should have uh, got to third, but he can't run. Yeah. Um, and, and so it was, you know, there, there, there were, it would have made sense. But I think by that point, they had already brought Rios into the game uh, as the DH. Was he the DH? Was he in the game? I might be confusing my two games. I don't remember. But uh, I don't think... I think Rios, they were thin at that point already because yeah. Barnes ended up pinch hitting. Yeah, so it probably was Rios who was in. Um, and so it would have been trickier to get him to third base and he's their best option at third base if JT's not in the game. So, uh, but I do think if he had been the tying run, I think they would have run for him as soon as he got to second base on that little bloop double. Uh, but it wasn't quite the right situation to make it worth all the different defensive gymnastics they would have had to do to, to make it work. 
Uh, actually, we'll, we'll end on with the other one. Uh, the last one that I'll touch on real quick is from Alejandro at Alex underscore seven. says, seems like Julio's flying under the radar with his postseason stats. Why is he not being acknowledged? He's arguably the number three starter. And then goes on to say he's glad he's getting game four. He's been really good this postseason. And uh, I'm not sure of he's not being acknowledged. I mean, he got the heavy praise in game seven for finishing that game. And then, you know, had everyone calling for him to be a starter. And he is getting the start in game four. So I think in that sense, he's been acknowledged. Uh, I think the other, maybe the part of it that is a little different is that coming into the postseason, I think we both had him listed kind of as the number five guy behind May and Gonsolin, and he's pitched his way into that number three row and has the third established starter in this uh, postseason and in this rotation. So I think he's gotten the acknowledgement that he needs in terms of fan acknowledgement, uh, fan appreciation, but also Dave Roberts' appreciation getting a start and, you know, getting to be the starter in game four. All right, last one, Jeff, from our buddy Noah Clipper 2. Do you think we can win the rest of the series games? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I do. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Dodgers lose one more and have it go to six games, but I think, you know, Charlie Morton is a little bit scary, but he also, I don't know if you saw the tweet today, Vince, that had his his numbers each time through the order, and he gets quite a bit worse the second time through the order and then a lot worse the third time through the order. And so I think we're likely to see the Dodgers either get to him or get to the bullpen early. And uh, either one of those is good. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Dodgers put up a couple runs on him and have him done by the fourth inning or so, at which point, yes, the Rays have a good bullpen, but like you mentioned, they've seen those guys. And so, uh, so I think they, they win game three, behind Bueller pitching a gem and then game four with Julio starting for the Dodgers and probably a bullpen game for the Rays. That's advantage Dodgers. And then you've got the rematch of Kershaw and, and Glasnow probably in game five. And uh, that one has already gone their way one time. And so uh, no reason. I, I re- really would love to see the Dodgers win on a Kershaw gem in game five, win the series. Yeah, that'd be ideal. You know, it's, it's kind of like the brave series, where it's laid out for them and they have to go and actually win it. They didn't do it the first half of the Brave series. They ended up doing it the second half of the Brave series. So, you know, as confident as we may be in these next three games, they still have to go and do it. And then that's the biggest part of the postseason. The Rays are a good team and they might, you know, play elevated or play to their potential and, and, and win as well. So it's the Dodgers are, are in a good position and it's just up to them to go take it. One last question for you, Vince. Just this is from me, Jeff Snyder of Baseball Essential. Um, let's say the Dodgers lose one of the next two games. Uh, so it's two to two going into game five. Kershaw pitches a gem to go up three games to two. And then in game six, you know, a bullpen game or, or whatever it is. And the Dodgers jump out and they're up, you know, eight to two going into the ninth inning. Do you bring Kershaw in on one day of rest to pitch the ninth inning just so he can be the man on the mound when the Dodgers win the World Series? Yeah, I think if, if it's that if it's that score and that style, Kershaw or Jensen will be on the mound to end it. Uh, Kershaw would obviously be the more ideal one in our eyes, but you know, knowing Dave Roberts, he might throw Jensen in there just based on the fact that Kershaw threw the gem in game five in this situation. Yeah, yeah. Um... 
Yeah, I, I actually forgot one other question. I'm looking at, to see if it's a... Yeah, let, let me just throw this one out really quick, okay? Yeah, it was. this was in a DM to me. I know this episode's long, but you guys, you got nothing to do before tonight's Game 3, so uh, enjoy. Uh, it's our buddy D Doug Reynolds at CRCL805. Uh, he said, uh, what do you think would have been the defensive alignment in the 10th inning in Game 2 if the Dodgers had tied the game since Barnes had just pinch hit for uh, – was it Kike that he pinch hit for? Or no. Was it? Oh, it was Jock that Barnes pinch hit for. So Jock was back out of the game. So uh, so he says, do you move uh, Taylor back to left field and Barnes at second base? Or what do you think? Yeah, they probably do that. I don't think they want to burn Beatty in that sense and try to m maneuver things around. I think they lose the DH, get Smith. Or no, wait, Smith was the catcher. So, yeah, uh, Barnes at second and, and Taylor back in left and leave Beatty as your bench guy. Uh, the good, that's, I mean, that's a good thing with the Dodgers that they have these guys that are versatile. And, you know, depending on how things go, wouldn't be surprised me if we end up seeing Mookie at second base at some point in the series. Yeah, that's true. Mookie at second base is an option too. So, uh, all right, I think that'll do it. you have any final thoughts, Vince? No, let's go win. All right, thank you all for listening. Game three tonight at 5 p.m. California time. Uh, I think, yeah, that's it. So, uh, thank you for listening. If you haven't done it yet, please subscribe to Locked on Dodgers wherever you get your podcasts. If you have Apple Podcasts, go ahead and subscribe there to help other people find us. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Locked on Dodgers. Vince is on Twitter at Vince Samperio. I am on Twitter at Snydog. DMs are open in all of those places. Our phone number, if you want to leave us a voicemail or shoot us a text, is 323-863-LOCK-5625. Uh, our email address, did I say it already? LockedOnDodgers at gmail.com. So many ways to get a hold of us. We are here every weekday morning, and we hope you'll be here with us. When you get in your car or sit on your couch, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Dodgers. And remember, you don't have to agree. You just have to listen. We'll talk to you on Monday. Have a good one. D I say D-O, D-O-D-G-E-R-S. The team that's all hard. Oh, hard and all thumbs, they're my Los Angeles, your Los Angeles, our Los Angeles. Do you think we'll really win the pennant?